What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins. Today is Thursday, July 7, 2022. Today on the show, Power to the Pod, mailbag episode, anything and everything pertaining to the Miami Dolphins that you want to talk to, that's what we're doing. So tap in, let's get after it. Locked on Dolphins. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked On Dolphins. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, the director of scouting at the draftnetwork.com, but lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, uh, important distinguishment to make. And your MC here for Locked on Dolphins. We have the mailbag episode today, which I always look forward to because I always look forward to getting in tune with what's on all of your minds. Uh, obviously, you guys, the the engine behind the fan base here. Uh, I, I am just somebody who has a microphone in front of me uh, and the pleasure of getting to talk to you on a weekly basis. So with that in mind, uh, we are going to jump right in. I, I don't have any administrative items to tackle today or anything like that. Uh, I am this morning hopping on with Joe Rose of WQAM. Uh, Joe will be coming back. It's that time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Joe Rose is going to be on the show next week, which I am super stoked about. Uh, Joe has become a, a good friend and, and a big-time supporter of me and obviously Joe with his accolades and uh and time that he has spent in and around the Miami Dolphins organization, just a, a a wonderful, wonderful person for me to have gotten to know. So I'm excited to have Joe on with us next week. I am on WQAM this morning. Uh, you guys, if you missed it, because this will probably drop as soon as that recording is over, um, you'll get a chance to catch that. They, they drop all the, the segments on, on their podcast feed as well. So keep an eye out for that. But let's jump right in with Metal Fan 767. With one that hits close to home for me personally, based on personal situations, new father, five-star show. First and foremost, congratulations on fatherhood. It's definitely a life-changing experience. And his question is, my son was just born in May, and his first football season is quickly approaching. My wife is a huge Ravens fan. How do I ensure my son shuns the purple and black and embraces the aqua and orange? Thanks again for all your great content. Um, my So my wife's not a diehard football fan by any means. I have very actively recruited her to also being a Dolphins fan. So I don't have the, the issue that you have. But I have asked myself, like, I'm going to let my kid like what she wants to like, but how do I increase the likelihood that she's going to like the same thing that I like? <laughs> and what can I do to make that an enjoyable uh, experience for her? And she is a little over a year and a half now. So uh, I, I think my approach to football games with her is definitely going to change the way I watch games. You know, I'm very much like up on top of the edge of my seat and super anxious and into the game. And I'm counting the personnel and down in this situational football. Oh, I, I hope we do this. And. For a young kid like that, like I think I'm gonna have to continue to internalize that more, but I, I do want her to actively be a part of me enjoying the game and, and trying to instill that in her. So that challenge for me 
a metal fan, I would extend to you as well. Now, having a son is tough because, you know, mommy's boys and daddy's girls from my experiences, and I'm in that age demographic, right? I'm in my, my mid thirties at this point. Um, you start having all your friends who have kids and you kind of see it happen. So that would, that I think is your biggest challenge is the fact that mom is a Ravens fan and uh, a huge Ravens fan at that. So however you can subliminally fight that battle from within, I think that's your best bet. Uh, Tone Lantern with a five-star review. No question, but but something that I did want to acknowledge, uh, first and foremost, beyond the review, which is always greatly appreciated. Uh, great way to get Finn's information. Can't wait for the post-Super Bowl show. Yes. This is the kind of energy that I need in my life, right? Because obviously you hop on social media right now, and it's it's Chris Sims dumping on Tua and Tua Non. And I saw, I don't remember who it was. It might have been King of Finland was his, his Twitter handle. Somebody, I, I wish I remember exactly who it was, but somebody was like, uh, media's got to stop just deflecting everything to being accountable by Tua Non. Uh, because it kind of discredits the rest of this fan base. And I actually kind of agree with that. Like, yes, you have a very passionate subsection of Dolphins fans, some of which were not Dolphins fans before Tua Tungvaloa, who have really gravitated towards the team because of Tua and want the team to have success in large part because of Tua Tungvaloa. And that's, that's fine. But to suggest that anything that happens in force with the Dolphins fan base is just because of this, uh, overly avid subsection of the fan base, I think sells a lot of the fan base short, right? So to think about what a post-Super Bowl experience would look like with so many people uh, in, in the space on social media and that, that I've gotten to know personally, yes, please manifest this energy. Because in a time in which... Uh, like all of the sports book Twitter accounts now find it cool to like dump on Tua as well. And they know it's just like a match to gasoline for engagement on their stuff. Yeah, let's put out some AFC East quarterback rankings and put Zach Wilson and Mac Jones in front of Tua. Like Mac Jones, you want to make an argument based on statistics? Fine, whatever. But on what planet has Zach Wilson done anything to manifest or, or justify being ranked in front of Tua Tungvaloa right now? And I'm fairly neutral when it comes to Tua Tungvaloa. I'll I'll be readily able to talk about his pros, his cons, the things he needs to get better at from my evaluation of him, knowing what my expectations were for him when he came out of college. And I can tell you, you, you put on your clown wig and your clown nose and your clown makeup if you're going to sit here and rank Tua Tungvaloa as a worse starting quarterback than Zach Wilson based off of the information that we have at this point in time. Now, we want to get new games and things change and Zach Wilson becomes uh, the, the second coming of Josh Allen, then sure. Zach Wilson becomes um, the second coming of Joe Burrow, sure. But Zach Wilson has done nothing in the NFL to justify that ranking. But they, they know how to push your buttons as a fan base. And it's your most quiet time of the year. Trust me, I got to come up with a calendar 
Well, thankfully for the draft network, it's pretty straightforward. We're scouting college players. But I do a daily show on the Dolphins 12 months out of the year. I know how hard it is to come up with content. I see that the traffic numbers decline, right? And you've had those conversations about a draft company. You build up to the draft, the draft, the draft, the draft happens. Guess what? Nobody's thinking about the draft. So you got to come up with new creative ways to present the new class, the class that just happened. And, and you, you're really challenged to find ways to continue to stay engaging and on the forefront of people's minds when football's not going to start back up again until August. And you see some of these spaces that just take this lame-ass layup. It's, oh, dump on two. We'll get plenty of engagement. So seeing somebody, Tone, come forward and say, hey, I can't wait for a post-Super Bowl show. Neither can I. Because what a refreshing mindset versus what so much of, of you'll find elsewhere. And credit to this Dolphins fan base, which I think gets slept on quite a bit. I hope you're not sleeping on Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They have 100% chocolate on all of their bars. And right now, you can visit Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and save 15% off your next order. That is Built.com, promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your next order of the world's most delicious protein bar. Keysman03, power to the pod question. Great content. See many highlights of Tua throwing on the run, and when he does, I've noticed both feet sometimes off the ground when he releases the ball. Do you think this affects his velocity? Thanks. Uh, so throwing on the move versus throwing stationary uh, does require a little different set of body mechanics. When you're throwing on the move, it's a little less about... No, starting from the ground up because you obviously are not attached to the ground. And, and when you're running, you will have to do certain things. Like as an example, getting your shoulders open or, or closed, I should say, getting your front shoulder closed to where you're trying to throw. So if you're rolling to your left, you are naturally going to be closed with your right shoulder a.k.a. Tua, but when you're running to your right, you know, you have to get your shoulders 180 degrees, and Tua is the inverse of, of every other quarterback in that regard. So there is kind of that pop-to-snap release to help manufacture some additional torque. Uh, so does it affect his velocity? Sure, but it'll affect just about every thrower when they're forced to throw on the move like that. Um, it's not a fundamental flaw. It, it's uh, a kind of a coached approach to manufacturing as much torque as you can through your body. Um, but for a quarterback to at this point who has had adequate arm strength, but it's not like a true asset of his, his game. Yes. When he has to throw on the run, you do see the loss of velocity. Speaking of Tua, tired of trying to find one, left a five-star review. You have my sympathy. I don't envy the way you straddle the fence on Tua. That being said, which quarterback are we packaging our two first-rounders to draft next spring? Okay. Appreciate the sympathies. Don't feel sorry for me. I love what I do. I'll say this. Um, 
I, if you want to classify it as straddling the fence, um, you can. I like to think of it as being non-committal until I feel we have enough information to make that decision. Uh, very much in the, the same school of thought of you watch a college prospect, right? And that's for the draft network. We do a lot of that. And uh, a player has 10 career starts going into his second year as a starter, and he balls out for the first three weeks in the non-conference schedule. I would present this player to my team of scouts and say, hey, uh, I'm really enthused, but we need a bigger sample size. We need more information. Uh, there are things in which I'm encouraged by with Tua Tungvalo. There's things this offseason I'm encouraged by with Tua Tungvalo, but um, I haven't seen enough to undo some of the questions that I have at this point. And, and that's to be expected. They're not playing football games right now, right? Uh, but to the second part of your question, which QB are we packaging our two first rounders to draft next spring? I would, based off what we know about the quarterbacks available for 2023's draft at this point in time, and we're talking Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, Tyler Van Dyke, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can string that out however you'd like. Uh, I have notable questions with all of them. Uh, for C.J. Stroud, uh, smaller sample size. He's a one-year starter, right? We we need to see how he acclimates. He just lost uh, a third-round tight end, two, three of his starting offensive linemen, and two top 15 wide receivers in the NFL draft. I need to see what he looks like with when he is the established piece with Bryce Young, Bryce Young is smaller than Tua Tungvaloa. He plays in the same system that allowed Tua Tungvaloa to showcase himself at a very high level and then come into the league and not necessarily uh, be super apt to working his way through consistently full field progressions. Uh, because he the, the the first read at Alabama was so well schemed and the talent was so good, and I was dismissive of it at the time for Tua. But look at Bryce Young, just physically look at Bryce Young, and then look at Tua, and ask yourself uh, what trait Bryce has physically that's better than Tua, and I don't know where you'll find an answer. I look at Will Levis, and it's the polar opposite. He's a little inaccurate. He's got a lot of fundamental improvement at his disposal. Uh, physically, he he's everything you would want in a quarterback, but he's got a lot of growth. So I say all that to say this, and, and I, I would be remiss to not mention Van Dyke, obviously, because he's playing at Hard Rock Stadium for his home college football games. Uh, I love the arm. I love the build. Uh, I think from a pre-snap process perspective, and his mentality to work through all of your avenues on any given play, I think there's a lot of improvement that needs to be had there before I would project him as a first-round player. But again, he's not even been a starter for a full year yet. Small sample size. A lot of growth opportunity. 
I say that to say this. If the Dolphins get to the end of the year and they make a decision that they need to change quarterbacks and they package two ones to go up and draft one of these guys based on what we know right now, I'd be underwhelmed. Uh, I think that would not necessarily lend itself to maximizing the infrastructure that you've put in place to have a competitive team right now. Uh, and that's that's a tough seat to find yourself in, to be completely honest. Greg, with our last podcast review question. Long-time listener and some very kind words, so thank you for that. My question stems from ideology of drafting offensive linemen. Knowing that you've been in the draft space for quite some time, I want to know your honest opinion. Outside of the three offensive linemen in every class, why are teams continuing to draft linemen in the hopes that they will become day one starters? We know the position takes time to be acclimated to the NFL level, so unless there's a lineman like a Werfs, Nelson, or Sewell, we've seen that typically they don't hit their stride until year three. This seems to be the opposite for all other position groups because many players' ceilings aren't as clear in college. When they are poached by a team that is an offensive lineman away from being a contender and willing to offer them a big payday, and the team that drafted them is back looking for a lineman. The Dolphins line is a great example. Cornerstone lineman brought in from free agency while we're continually trying to justify the lineman we drafted. In contrast to this, if we look at literally all other position groups, Greer has hits. Now, hypothetically, replaced the lineman that we drafted since 2016 with skill players drafted. After said lineman and focus on building through the offensive line through free agency, and I feel like we wouldn't have the feeling of buyers remorse so often. My point is this, the Dolphins, as well as every other team in the NFL, to be honest, should go into the offseason looking to address the offensive line strictly through free agency. If they don't have a top five pick, every lineman you draft outside of the top five should be strictly there to be a backup until he's ready to play. Maybe this is a simplistic take, but I would love to know your thoughts. Okay, there's a lot here. Um, I think this in theory works. But the, the issue that you have, and will always have in this regard, is scarcity. How many NFL starting caliber offensive linemen are you going to find? There's 32 teams times five starters. And I know we got some traction with this yesterday. I'm glad to, glad to see it. I'm not a math guy, but 32 times five is 160. So you need 160 offensive linemen to be ready to step into a starting role every year in the NFL. And I'm here to tell you, we you do not have 160 quality offensive linemen in the NFL. And a lot of the great ones, they get locked in. They never dream or sniff free agency. So if, if you have all 32 teams that say, hey, we need a quality offensive tackle. And there's two on the market. A, supply and demand, right? There's going to be 30 teams that walk away disappointed. But B, the cost of those players now is going to be astronomical because of the bidding that's involved with that many teams that are interested. So the appeal of offensive linemen and, and the draft in general is, and I'm not saying it's a good strategy, and I, I certainly think you make fair points, but the 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 focus, and, and we talked with Ozzie Newsom about this when, when Joe Marino and I went down for the Senior Bowl uh, charity golf event for their Hall of Fame induction. 
last month. We, we got a chance to sit down and talk with Ozzie Newsom for about 15 minutes. And he talked about the value of the rookie contract, right? And I think that's why when, when I'm asked about Tua Tungamaloa getting a contract extension, that's kind of why I'm always a little taken aback because it, it's you're rushing to get away from the best part of building through the draft, which is the rookie contract. And I think the fifth-year option, even as it has changed recently, has become more player-friendly and less um, of an appeal for the teams. So you can get, yeah, you you can pay an offensive tackle $22 million in free agency, or you can draft one, even if it's one that's a developmental player, and hope that he comes in right away and you can relatively coach him up, and you can have $18 million to invest in the rest of your, your offense or your roster. That's never, it's, it's always a high-risk approach. And as you said, Many teams end up treading water and never get the traction that they need. But that's the balance you have to find as you scout the players is who's a system fit for us that we feel reasonably well can perform at a reasonable level early on. And is that plus all the financials that you're going to have at your disposal worth more than trying to win the crazy bidding war for only a handful of quality starters? And then it's about not being stubborn. Don't lock yourself in. Oh, we drafted this guy. We can't make improvements. Well, competition is the best way to do this. There's no such thing as too many good offensive linemen. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this conversation to a offensive line, team building ideologies, cap management, uh, raising a young Dolphins fan in your household. Lots of great stuff today. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. We got one more show again this week. And then we are off for the weekend. Your team every day here on Locked on Dolphins. So we don't just say it. We live it. Make it a great day. And I'll talk with you guys again tomorrow. Fins up.